As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekul, joined by Paul Tenorio, and we are here to preview the final game of the group stage for the U.S. Men's National Team against Iran, playing on Tuesday night here in Qatar, Tuesday afternoon slash morning, back home in the States, and Paul, it is all on the line. The U.S. has to win in order to get through. Iran will advance with a draw or a win of their own, essentially a, a round of 32 match. Can we call it that? It's a knockout match. I don't know if it's round 32, but um, I'm not good at math. Paul, we're recording. It's 12.24 a.m. local time. Officially game day. And we're recording so late because a lot happened today. A lot happened the last few days, in fact, between the U.S. and Iran and social media. And very little of what happened actually had to do with soccer. Can you walk us through the press conference social media posts, just kind of everything going on around this game off the fields. And then we'll talk about what's how we think it's going to play out on the field. Yeah, so today was the match day minus one press conferences for both the U.S. and Iran. And I think you and I both expected them to be somewhat eventful. We knew going into this tournament that any game between the U.S. and Iran would carry some off-the-field questions and heft topics and heft for sure. Um, but it had actually been relatively uh, calm going into this game, considering the stakes, considering the opponents. And then uh, yesterday, uh, U.S. Saturday, actually, yeah. Saturday, U.S. soccer put up some social media posts in which they had the Iranian flag uh, without the emblem of the uh, Islamic Islamic Republic. Republic on the flag. And they did that as a sort of protest a show of support is what they called it for the women in iran who are protesting for what u.s soccer called basic human rights um you know i think it was a nice sentiment obviously iran has been really gripped by massive protests for a couple of months now um since since really mid-september um the government has had a pretty massive crackdown um tons and tons and tons of arrests thousands of arrests hundreds of deaths according to various agencies 
um, and a lot of people suffering in serious ways as they kind of look for more rights, especially for women in this women-led protest. And so U.S. Soccer removed that emblem, um, which is a representative of, of the regime in some ways, from the flag in a post about updating standings on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. They did not remove the emblem from the flag on their website, and they didn't remove it in previous social posts, which you know had all included it. Um, and they went out in public when people noticed this, finally, I believe on Sunday, and they said, we're doing this to support the women of Iran. And then a few hours later, after it had been reported by Iranian media that's state-sanctioned that the Iranian Football Federation was considering or planning to lodge a complaint with FIFA's Ethics Committee. FIFA's Ethics Committee, of course, being, I don't know, is that an oxymoron? It's a funny sentence. Uh, Not a funny issue. Um, And all of a sudden, U.S. soccer backed off. And they deleted the posts, and they said, we're not doing that again. And it was just kind of a, it's been a weird situation throughout. There were some questions about it, both at the Iran press conference with Carlos Karosh and at the U.S. press conference with Greg Berhalter and Tyler Adams today, and it became a bit of an issue. But to your point, Paul, this was already going to be a wild, wild affair, (laughs) Um, this press conference, and this only made it a little wilder and stranger. Well, I don't know that the press conference was going to be the wild affair that it turned out to be, but certainly it was a press conference unlike any I've ever experienced before. Um, there was a strong contingent of Iranian journalists there as the, the entire room was full, more full yeah. than it was ahead of USA England, which I think we all thought way more been, full than it was against Wales. Yeah. We thought that would have been the headline press conference, obviously. And, um, those Iranian journalists, they grilled Greg Berhalter and Tyler Adams on a number of issues. Some of the things that were brought up were, were, you know, would more of the world, what percentage of the world would be happy if Iran won versus what percentage of the world would be happy if the U.S. won? That was actually the second question of the whole thing, yeah. Why hasn't Greg Berhalter spoken to someone in the government about taking the naval fleet out of the Persian Gulf? Uh, there were discussions about racism in the United States. There were discussions about the visa process for Iranian citizens to travel to the United States versus the process for American citizens to go to Iran. There were discussions about inflation yeah, in the United States. Yeah, that was States. the weirdest that one was, to That me. was one that yeah. caught me off guard. Inflation then, as a reason why the U.S. men's national team is not being supported at home. Right. right. And, you know, and then I think there was, there was maybe the most memorable moment of all, which is when a, a reporter... Um, kind of tersely scolded Tyler Adams for mispronouncing Iran. Tyler Adams said Iran. And, you know, he prefaced his question by saying, first of all, it's pronounced Iran, and let's get that straight once and for all. Uh, And then he asked Tyler Adams, how does he feel playing for a national team and representing a country that has had such high levels of discrimination, so much discrimination against black people, and with the Black Lives Matter movement, how does he feel representing his country. Um, it was a memorable moment because it was such a tense, tense, tense room. That it felt confrontational. It, it did. I mean, when I listened to back, it didn't feel confrontational in the context of the question alone, because if you just listen to the question, you know, he, his voice and those things wasn't uber confrontational, but 
where it fell in the press conference, the fact of the number of other questions that had come, the stuff, the types of yeah. questions that had come, the way those questions were being asked, the fact that they were being translated, the whole room, the whole tone of the press conference had been one that was confrontational. It was that, on edge. It, everyone was on edge. And so that amped that question up again. And here is Tyler Adams, 23 years old, you know, only a week or so into his like full-time captaincy of this national team at this world cup. I think we can call it full-time now, especially after today, honestly. Yeah. And, and he, uh, I thought handled it wonderfully. He first of all, apologized for mispronouncing Iran. And then he gave, I thought an eloquent answer about how he perceived, uh, discrimination in the United States as a, a black man who grew up in a white family, how he was able to assimilate easier than other people, how everyone has, different experiences with that process, how traveling abroad and living abroad has taught him that discrimination exists everywhere and also helped him to kind of, in his mind, see that there is progress being made in the United States. And at the end, he said, you know, mostly what it's about is education and progress, just like you educated me, he said to the reporter on how to pronounce your country's name. And I think the most important thing that we see is progress. But it was the tone of the answer it was it was conversational it was uh apologetic when it needed to be it was relatable un- I relatable and yeah. understanding never it's disarming, condescending disarming the the i think the journalist a bit and I, it was just it was like kind of what we've all talked about in regards to tyler adams leadership and his ability to handle those types of moments um and I think that whole moment, everything about it spoke to this press conference and, and how it felt in the room the entire time, how we were all kind of waiting to see what the next question would be, what the next answer would be, what the reactions would be from Greg Berhalter, from Tyler Adams, from the journalists. Um, it was a lot, Sam. Yeah, it was. So we wrote a piece about it. It'll be out on The Athletic hopefully soon here. Hopefully it's already out by the time you're listening to this. Um, and yeah, there was a lot going on. And a lot of it, Paul, was because, like we said, or some of it was because of that social media kind of back and forth that U.S. soccer had with itself, which was sort of self-inflicted. And I just want to be clear off the top, like, I think the intentions were good for that, you know, showing support with the women in Iran. Like, that's that's a good thing that U.S. soccer wanted to do. Uh, I think the way they went about it, uh, they would probably do it over a, a lot differently if they had the chance. So to give a little bit of the background, it was not run by Burhalter or the players, despite the fact that those were the guys that were going to have to answer for it um, in press conferences on Sunday and again today on Monday. And, you know, it also wasn't really like much of a statement in a way. It wasn't a statement at all. It was the removal of an emblem on a tiny little emoji flag on a larger graphic. It wasn't noticeable unless you were like looking for it. And for us, for us, for Iranians, it would have been very noticeable. In fact, our editor, Alex Abnos, who's an Iranian American said to me that he noticed it almost immediately. Right. So, so for us, it it wasn't, but for the people that know it was. And I think though, that that was reflected in the fact that there wasn't any coverage of, of this until Sunday. And they put this out pretty pretty quickly after the game, uh, I believe, the on, on Friday night, the England game, um, which ended on Saturday here, Qatari time. And, you know, it, it sort of blew up on Sunday, and then, then they didn't 
stick with their conviction for whatever reason. They say that they didn't walk it back because FIFA or anything. I, I think, Paul, they believe, I believe they said they hadn't even heard from FIFA yet by the time they deleted the tweets. Um, so it's just, it was just kind of a strange thing overall that didn't seem like they had really thought through the potential consequences, which is a little concerning. Um, ultimately, I mean, I don't know. I don't think it's going to really have much effect on the game, but it certainly colored the narrative a day, 24 hours before the match when it was a main part of what Tyler Adams and Greg Berhalter were asked about in a press conference that was very much not about soccer. Yeah. I mean, I think, look, I think that some of the questions that were asked on Monday in the press conference would have been asked regardless. Yeah. The naval warships one. Yeah. I mean, I just think the overall tone, there were aspects of that that would have existed no matter what, because of the atmosphere and the environment around the Iranian team and the history between the two countries and the, the history between the two countries. The fact that, you know, that there is some question of, oh, well, you're, you know, these questions exist around the Iranian team and and their policy. Like, why not ask those same questions around the Mm -hmm. American team and their country's policy? Which has been a big theme of this World Cup, really, in regards to Qatar, not not Iran, but Qatar versus Western and double standards. And, you know, we went into that on an earlier show about Gianni Infantino. But a lot of the same themes play here. I think some of those questions would have existed. But I was also at USMNT Match Day Minus 2 press conference with Walker Zimmerman and Tim Ream. And those questions were focused almost entirely on the flag and the decision by U.S. soccer, which Tim Ream and Walker Zimmerman had nothing to do with. And those two guys sat up there and had to answer questions for it. And I do think it also shifted at least some of the some of the tone for today's press conference that it that it added to it so i do think that there was a level of as you said they're they're just i think they didn't consider certainly it seems as though they didn't fully consider the potential backlash yeah um, and which if that's the case it's even if, if they did consider it they seem to have misjudged it yeah and 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 i just think it put those players in a difficult spot ahead of the game in especially in the sense that they weren't a part of the decision to right. do that like if the if this was a decision made by everybody together like we want to make this statement it's important yeah. to us i think that's then you're totally prepared different. to go talk about it right yeah. and and walker zimmerman said like we of course support the women of iran tyler adams and, said the same and tyler adams said the same thing but i i just think that it was like you know i think there was not a clear the a preparation they didn't have their ducks in a row and 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 to to decide to take down the posts right before that press conference started on sunday on sunday like you know it inflamed that situation as well so it it was just i I just think like overall it's it's heightened what would have already been a a high level of non-soccer atmosphere around this game yeah. got heightened yeah do you think it'll have any effect on the actual match i think you know what i keep thinking of sam with, with all of this stuff i mean like 70 percent of our job we talk about things that happen around a game yeah and i think about when we were recording our narrative <laughs> podcast and we were interviewing are you gonna are you gonna undercut our jobs right now big time definitely like okay. good you know I'm here for it there all of these things factor in all of these things factor in demarcus beasley talked about you know, 
the, the way Project 2010 impacted the 17s and that group of players, the way get, looking at the golden generation of Portugal before he subbed in was in the back of his mind. Like, oh By my the God, way, I'm going to play against Figo. Two things that Carlos Queiroz, Iran manager, was involved in. Right. And, you know, all these other things, like these, they all factor in. But then when the whistle blows and you're out on the field, it all kind of fades away. The guys talked about it before USA England. Of course, you know, playing against my other country and hearing both anthems and playing against a friend and you know all of those things will matter and then but they they matter until they don't until the whistle blows and then it all kind of fades away yeah and i think that there will be some level of that but not all the way i think that once the whistle blows and the game starts some of it becomes automatic it becomes a soccer game and, mm -hmm. and your touches and your passes and your ideas of movement you fall back on the things you train however we have seen in this tournament the way that emotion can impact the game and how it can impact motivation. <laughs> Shout out motivation. to Canada. <laughs> Shout out to Canada and Croatia. And so do I think it has the potential to play out in some way and to affect the emotion of one team or the other? Yeah, I do. Yeah. yeah. I'm very curious to see what the Iranian response is to this. They got asked about it today. They didn't, they didn't touch it. Uh, understandably so. Those guys are in a really difficult position at home being between the state and the people, a lot of them have, you know, made their quiet statements of solidarity, I would say. They didn't sing the anthem before the England match. Uh, some of them didn't sing it before the Wales match on Friday. A lot of them have worn black wristbands during club games and not celebrated goals um, that otherwise they certainly would have been celebrating uh, just to sh sort of show solidarity with the people. A lot of people back in Iran have criticized them for not doing enough. Uh, it does seem, though, that that the country is starting to coalesce around them a little bit more broadly after they won on Friday. And Paul, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how they come out. You know, it's their chance to get to the round of 16 for the first time in their history. And it's, it's a relatively decorated athletic history for that country. And, uh, it would be a big, big, big deal, especially now with everything going on there for them to achieve that. This wasn't the only thing that happened in the press conference. <laughs> there are a few other things as well. Some soccer related, some soccer adjacent, I would say. Um, let's break down one of those real quick. There's been a lot of talk about Gio Reyna and Eric Winalda went out on an LA Times Twitter space with Dylan Hernandez, I believe before the England game on Friday, if memory serves, and basically said that Greg Berhalter lied to the media, that Gio Reyna had some tightness and that he told Gio Reyna to lie to the media about that and that Gio didn't go along with it and that caused a rift and there's all this internal strife and yada, yada, yada. Berhalter, we hadn't really had the chance to ask him about that because he, he was available after the match when the questions understandably focused on the actual match itself against England. And then his next availability was the press conference today. Um, so he was asked about that today and he sort of responded um, sharply is that, a, is that a word for it? I think that's fair. I mean, he took a deep breath before he answered the question. <laughs> and he basically said, listen, I know what I did. I know what I didn't do. That's not how I treat people. And if you want to, you can go ahead and believe Eric Winalda or you can believe me. I know who's right. Yeah. Well, he also said, you guys know me. You've known me for four years. And I would hope that you would understand. You would know, too. I think that was kind of a... Uh, yeah. And for the record... I believe Burhalter's version of events. I think he's got a better uh, track record on these things than Eric Winaldo. Well, I think not just that, but you and I didn't just have the question with Burhalter, right? We've spoken to people 
around the team to try to get an idea of right. kind of what's going on and, and what type of impact is happening with Geo not playing. And I think what, what we kind of got was this hasn't impacted the team at all. It's not really penetrated into the group. And that this is, uh, as one source put it, uh, a father upset that his son's not playing more. The father being, of course, Claudio Reyna, former USMNC captain and longtime childhood friend, really, and lifelong of Greg Berhalter. <laughs> so that adds a different dynamic into this. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I just, I believe Berhalter at his word on this one. Um, and I feel very confident in that. Yeah, I, I think also, like, just one thing that's kind of been interesting to me about this is, like, Giorena didn't start the first game. We talked about the decision Greg Berhalter had to make at that position. Yeah. And whether you're going to start Giorena or Tim Weah and what each of those players brings. Tim Weah has done he very brought, well. He started Tim Weah. Tim Weah Tim scored the goal in that game. He went understand so i people were angry that he didn't get subbed in in the 88th minute that it was jordan morris instead and and i and the yeah the way greg berhalter there was answered a lot of stoppage question, time the way the way greg berhalter answered that question after the game was that it was confusing it was confusing be, be partly i think it was more confusing for people that read it than it was for people that were sitting in the press and conference. i was not sitting in the press conference right. and i was very confused right so he he was asked directly about why Gio didn't play, and he said, basically, in that phase of the game, we decided we wanted Jordan Morris for his speed and his power. We had done a last-minute check the day before on Gio. We decided he was okay to play, um, and we're confident that his time will come, and you know we expect him to play on Friday against England. I asked a follow-up question five or six questions later, saying... It was you? Yeah. I didn't know that. Saying, This hey, is your fault, Paul? I just said, hey, you said the last minute check. Are we missing something that happened this week? Or are you guys just monitoring him because of his yeah. long injury history? Like, I just want to make sure that we didn't miss something. And that's when Greg Berhalter clarified and said he had, you could see that he, there was some tightness in the scrimmage against Al Garafa. So they were monitoring it. They were building him back up, making sure he was ready. And they just decided that, you know, that there were some precautions taken, but that we expect them to play a big role at this World Cup, and it's just a matter of when. Right. That was the answer. So from those two answers, the implication, at least, was that, oh, he was hurt. But it wasn't, he didn't, he said in the first answer, we determined he was okay. He said in that phase of the game, we opted for Jordan Morris. So that can get you angry one way or the other, right? Like, you're either like, Oh, he did say he was injured, and Gio said he wasn't injured. I went into the mix zone. I saw Gio Reyna right away. I asked him about it, and that's when Gio Reyna said, I'm fine. I'm 100% ready to go. Yeah. So you can either be mad that Berhalter said he was – you interpret it as Berhalter saying he was injured and Gio said he wasn't, or you can be mad that he's played Jordan Morris instead of Gio Reyna in that phase of the game and you know was protecting him from something that Gio Reyna didn't think he needed protecting from. Whatever, whatever thing you want to get mad at. My thing is that, like, his role right now on this team is clearly as a substitute. And I don't think you can start him over Tim Weah the way Tim Weah has been playing. I don't think you can start him over Weston McKinney the way Weston McKinney has been playing. And what you're asking from midfielders, I think, more importantly. And you're in a competition then to come off the bench with Brendan Aronson for both of those positions. Or Jordan Morris. 
or Jordan Morris, and it becomes somewhat situational, right? Like if you're protecting a lead, I, like I yeah. think you're more it, likely to it, put in. If you're protecting, I, hold on. A, if you're protecting, if you're protecting a lead, a lead, I think you're yeah. more likely to put in Brendan Aronson. Yeah. And if you're chasing a game, I think you're more likely to put in Gio Reyna, which they did against England when they knew that a win might was more important than a draw. They weren't going to go all out for a win. We saw that in the way they they treated the last like two minutes of that game. Yeah. But he did play as a substitute against England. Not not very long. He wouldn't have been very long against Wales either. It was sure. an eighty-eighth minute substitution. I, I think I think we can all say that Burhalter probably we talked about it after that we thought he waited a little too long on his subs, but neither here nor there. Yeah. So I just think that um you know, for me it's like I just think it's like this. there's this like controversy that got drummed up over Giorena not being used as a sub in the first game, basically, by, yeah, yeah. by Eric Winalda going on Twitter spaces and talking about a conversation that he had with Giorena's dad. And yeah. it just so happens that Giorena's dad is the former captain of the national team. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of layers here. Obviously, Giorena is a talented player. I think a lot of this comes down to the fact that Giorena was not around in qualifying. He's never really been around this team in a consistent fashion. Um, over the last couple of years, he was around in September. He had a not good game along with the rest of the team against Japan. And then he came off again after a half hour because of injury against Saudi Arabia. They've never really been able to integrate him into this team. And that's not anybody's fault either. It's just kind of the way that it, that it worked with the injuries. I think if he had been healthy, I think he probably would have understood, or Greg Berhalter would have understood a, a better role for Gio Reyna and maybe we would be having a different conversation right now. Yeah, I mean, Giorena is 20 years old. And I think... Just turned 20. And, yeah, in just Qatar. turned 20 this week yeah. in Qatar. And I think that he's going to have a role, a big role for this national team. Like, you hope. In 2026. He, he might have a big role for them on, on Tuesday night. And he very well could have a role for them on Tuesday night. And if they, if they get to the next round beyond that. I think... But I think it's, it's also naive to, like, the idea that... Like, I can't blame Greg Berhalter if, if they did see tightness against Algarafa with the injury history of Gio Reyna, with what happened in September with him taking himself out of the game after 30 minutes. I don't, I don't blame him from a purely soccer standpoint of looking in that moment of the game, the way the game was unfolding, how open it was, how back and forth it was, how you needed someone not just to sprint and try to get him behind the back line when you replaced Tim Weah with, with cramping but also someone who would track back and defend like crazy, that there wouldn't be some level of concern yeah. about Gio Reyna's hamstrings. So, like, that's just a straight up, like, based on his sure. injury history. Yeah, so, I, I just, I don't, I don't know. It I feels think, like a weird controversy, it, it unless does. you look at it straight up of, like, is Gio Reyna better than Jordan Morris? Yes. Yeah. I think where Berhalter really went wrong here is, is, like, just kind of the explanation. And it was just a little bit confusing and a little bit muddled and not totally clear. And, you know... It was right after a game. Emotions are running high. Sometimes that happens. Um, anyway, I agree with you. I don't really think it's much of a controversy. And I actually do think that this game on Tuesday night could be one that's well-suited for Gio Reyna to probably come off the bench, but potentially play a very large role for an extended period of time. Let's take a quick break, Paul. We'll come back. We'll talk more about that. And we'll talk more about other soccer stuff that's probably going to happen and the U.S.'s World Cup finale against Iran on Tuesday. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes 
and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobeUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder, breaking down the U.S. men's national team's do-or-die match with Iran on Tuesday night in Qatar. If they win, they are through to the round of 16. If they do not, they're going home earlier than anyone wanted them to. Paul, what do you expect from Iran? First match they played, 6-2 loss to England. Played a lot of of their normal reserves, particularly in the back. Uh, a lot going on at home. Um, next game they come out, more normal lineup for Carlos Queiroz. Beat Wales 2 nothing with two very, very dramatic, very, very late goals. Both matches, they kind of seeded possession. They didn't look to have much of the ball. I think they had 38% against Wales, which is not a team that likes to hold much of it on, on in its own right. So what do you expect for them against the U.S.? I'm a little bit torn. My, my straight-up expectation is that they're going to play very defensive posture, that they're going to play for a draw. You know, obviously would love to get a win, but that they understand more importantly not to give anything up. If they, get, if they don't give up a goal, they're through. Right. And and I, that's what I expect from them. Yeah. But Tyler Adams gave an interesting answer, answer to this question today, though. He gave the right answer to say, look, we know what they did in, against Wales when they came out and they were the aggressor and they were pushing and they were pressing and they were going for it. And we know they're capable of playing that way and, in fact, played much better that way than they did when they came out in a more defensive posture against England. And that point, that part of the point, I think, stood out to me. It wasn't just that in one game they played more defensive and in the other game they played more aggressive because they needed to play more aggressive against Wales. Yeah, It's that the result of the philosophy in one game to the other was so significantly different. That in one game where they came out a bit more conservatively, they got overrun and they got beat badly. And the other game when they came out a bit more aggressively, they were able to control a lot of the game and they were able to be more effective. Yeah, it, it was late goals, but they were in control. Of that I one. think that they are. I think there is going to be a level of trying to embrace some of the energy and the momentum of this team and to say, listen, you have to be disciplined. You have to be able to defend as a team. But that doesn't mean we just sit deep and absorb. Right. I think I agree with you 100%. I think they are going to be kind of a defensive posture, but they're going to look to break at every chance they can, and they have some talented players up top to do so. U.S., as we know, we've talked about this a few times, Paul. I don't know if you're, you're aware. They sometimes struggle to break teams down via possession. Uh, so Iran, they know that, and they're probably going to say, all right, U.S., come beat us with the ball. We're not going to let you beat us in transition, and we're going to look to transition when you give it back to us. And the U.S. is going to have to try and do it because they have to be, the, they have to be the, the aggressors. They have to be the proactive team in this match. They're the ones that have to win. 
So I think in that way, it really does kind of play into Iran's hands in terms of the strategy. And then it comes down to, all right, can the U.S. take advantage of the pressure that they create, the opportunities that they're going to look to create? Are they going to be able to finish in ways that they haven't been able to really in all of 2022 against decent opposition? And we'll see. Uh, Outside of that Morocco game, right? They haven't been able to score goals against decent decent teams. That Morocco game was weird. That Morocco team got off the plane like the day before flying over the Atlantic to Cincinnati, and they weren't really up for it, to be frank. So, Yeah, look, I think some of the same things that we talked about in the Wales game are relevant here, especially and specifically when it comes to how to break down a team sitting in a low block with five in the back. I think some of those concepts are going to come into play. The idea of pulling center backs out of space, trying to operate in the half spaces, whether it's the wingers or the number nine. We both think Jesus Ferrer is going to start for that reason. Uh, Josh Sargent. That was, fair, that was a close call, though, Paul. You said it very matter-of-factly. We it was a close call. Josh, Josh Sargent started that first game against Wales where some of these same concepts um, came up. Now, two of the three strikers who are here in Qatar have started a game. I think that and neither of them have really – Josh Sargent contributed in the buildup. Uh, he, he kind of brought a ball off his chest. Haji Wright did a good job defensively, shading Declan Rice, all that. Yeah, I, I think – I just think that, like, when we talk about a team that's going to be sitting, going to be more defensive, that you're going to have to try to create in these tight spots, I just have a feeling that it's – it, it, this is kind of the game that that Greg Berhalter, where size matters less now on set pieces. Like I think this is the game where we see Jesus Ferrer. Yeah, I mean I agree with you. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw really any of the three of them. I'd be a little surprised by Wright, would not be surprised if we saw Josh Sargent. But yeah, I agree. I think I think this is the one for Jesus. It wouldn't be that uh, different than what we saw from Berhalter in a lot of the qualification windows in terms of rotating strikers. Um, again. We're a broken record here. They don't really have a number nine. And I mean, so it, you just got to f- just keep trying until you find one. It really stands out to me working on this projected starting 11 piece. I pulled the graphics from the first two games of the past map for the USMNT. Completely and both of them, the striker is a, a red dot by himself. No lines between him and any other player. It wouldn't player. be fun to play like that. Very much disconnected from the buildup, very much disconnected from what the U.S. is trying to do. When it's that obvious, to me, it's intentional a bit, right? You understand mm-hmm. that the number nine is not your strongest position, that you're going to try to attack through Christian Pulisic in the first game, I thought, especially against Wales. And in the second game, we know the way that they attacked. They, they had that triple stack on the right. Those three players are very close to each other in the passing map. I'm sorry. Tim Weah, Weston McKinney, Sergio Dust. I you? stole the term that Greg Berhalter used to describe it. No, oh. no. Every time I hear triple stack, think I think of of two things. Wendy's, actually. Oh. And then the Dumb and Dumber line about how you can't triple stamp a double stamp. Can't triple stamp a double stamp. Can't triple stamp. You want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? No, I do not. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I don't know. I think we could. I think in this game, Berhalter's going to want a number nine who has lines going to him in the passing map. Maybe that's the easiest way to say it. <laughs> we want some lines to the number nine. I would imagine... <laughs> nine lines. After this game, if things play out the way Greg Berhalter wants them to play out that there will be some green lines between... Wow. Between... And what do green lines mean for those who don't know? 
stronger and better connections. Okay. And we've been a little remiss in not mentioning this already. The passer value and the pass link value. Okay. That, that sounds complicated. Fancy. It sounds like a lot of math. Uh, I'm uncomfortable now. We've been remiss in not mentioning the fact that Burhalter was asked, hey, how have you considered playing Gio Reyna or anybody else at nine that isn't listed as a striker? And he was basically like, no, not really. We're going to dance with the girl that we brought to the dance. That's not how that expression goes. You know what I'm trying to say. He said we're comfortable with the three. He, he gave a long answer about some of the good things that he thought Josh Sargent and Hadid Wright did. He also said that they could have done more, particularly in the box. Um, but also put it kind of on the other players to be like, hey, those guys are dependent on service, so they need to get better service. And, and to be fair to Wright and Sargent, it's not like they really missed chances, Paul. Um, there were a couple of times when maybe they could have done a little bit better. I highlighted one in an article the other day from Haji Wright taking a shot that was blocked when he sh- probably should have made a pass. Um, those fine margins matter in the World Cup. They'll need to clean it up on Tuesday night against Iran. But... Um, yeah, it's probably going to be one of those three unless Burhalter is just uh, doing the old okey-doke. I mean, I went through Gio Reyna's entire professional career on transfer market and what positions he played. He's never played center forward doing as a professional. research. He's never played center forward as a professional. I think it would be a, a risk to start Gio Reyna at a position he's not played as a professional. He played one game at the U-17 World Cup as a number nine. Um, a disastrous U.S. The U.S. U-17 lost 4-0 in that game. Yeah. And he played one game as a center forward for the under-15 national team. That's about the same level. Way back. Um, <laughs> but that's it. Uh, now, Tim Weah has played games as a number nine. Last year, he played some games at Lille, like eight or nine games at the number nine position. Um, a few times as a starter, a couple times as a sub. This year, not so much. Played right wing, played right back in his two games before coming here. And, you know, Greg Berhalter said it before. He feels like Tim Weah has been really effective as a winger and creating chances. In he has been. Scoring, and he has. Like, you look through qualifying, I thought he was one of the more consistently effective players for the U.S. in general. He played all those games as a winger. Here at the World Cup, he's got a goal. I think he's been dangerous. Very easily could have had an assist on the McKenney chance the other night. For sure. So I understand that, too. Again, I think that's, like, this is an interesting dynamic for the national team because they have everyone available and so usually you don't have to worry about it you kind of know who the guys some, are we have some real drama Paul. there's there's actual decisions to be made here I, I but i understand also why people are like let's get our best attacking players all on the field at the same time let's move let's just risk it move him way up top yeah play brendan aronson on the wing or play geo ran on the wing and get more guys out there who we believe I mean, can create goals listen, i get it i get it if, clint dempsey said it if they if they go out if they draw or lose against Iran and Giorena plays 20 minutes. That's going to be a huge what if. What if he played more at the World Cup? Yep. And hopefully we won't have to answer that question. Yeah, I mean, you know, we don't know what will happen. What we do know is that over the last year, the U.S., more than year, the U.S. has struggled to find goals at the number nine position. There was a little streak there where Ricardo Pepe scored in a couple games literally two games and there was a little (laughs) streak where Jesus Ferreira scored in some Nations League games against Against lesser opponents and so that idea of okay when you have Brendan Aronson and Gio Reyna on the bench is it worth having them on the bench to start Haji Wright or Josh Sargent or Jesus Ferreira that's a good question and that's that's the question that lingers around this team right now is how do you find goals and is it eventually going to be in playing a false nine or playing a player like Tim Weah, who's a winger as a number nine, 
Or is it going to be just hoping that somewhere in the next four years, a number nine develops? Or is it going to be what Sam really feels and, and other people feel, which is that Brandon Vasquez should have been integrated and used or at least looked at, or that maybe in the next cycle, Vasquez gets his chance or Jeremy Obobese gets a chance. Or maybe and, some person we've never or, even heard yeah, of. Or, or yeah, or some 16-year-old playing in the FC Cincinnati Academy. You know? MLS Next Pro? MLS Next Pro. We got to go do some MLS Next Pro scouting, I think. Um, <laughs> Via AI cameras? Yeah, we'll watch their AI cameras. We won't see them score the goal. We'll know it hit the net, and we'll you know maybe think, oh, it looked like it was in the area of that player. All right, I'm not going to go off on the AI right now. <laughs> Too late. It's totally. It's a, we're at a did. World Cup. We're at a you World already Cup. did. What am I doing? It's one in the morning. Let's move on. What else do we need to talk about in regards to this match? What's going to happen? I th- we uh, actually, think it's going to be on. the same starting lineup. Before yeah, we go to the... Other, we- other than other than Ferreira, we think the other 10 are the same. Yeah. Um, and I, I would imagine most listeners probably understand where that's coming from, I would say. Yeah, who are you going to change in the midfield? Did you see Clint Dempsey's column for the Athletics, Sam? He said, I no. would put this Tell midfield... Tell me more. I would, I would put this midfield three up against almost, almost any, any other midfield. I saw Croatia's midfield three last night against Canada. Sat that game. Those guys are pretty good. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? I will say, Weston McKinney, Tyler Adams, Eunice Musa are also pretty good. Yeah. Definitely very good against England. Yeah, they're not the same kind of passers that you would see for Croatia. No, but they're not asked to do that. And you know what? Or Spain. They did their job. They did it well. Brazil's pretty good. I'm just saying, they're good midfields. What? The There's Cup. good midfields at the World Cup? France has been decent so far. They're okay. Yeah. Anywho. Um, so, yeah, same. You're not benching them. No, no, you're not. They've been they've been very very good. Tyler Adams has been an absolute beast. Maybe playing the best soccer of his life in these two games. If he can do that again, I think the U.S. will be in a good a good position to advance. But Paul, how long have we been going here? I don't know. Thirty eight minutes. Yeah. Let's put the chips on the line, my man. They're gonna make it. They gonna win this game. I think everyone knows how I roll when it comes to predictions on allocation disorder. I actually don't. Once I make a prediction, I stick with it. Okay. I, I except when you change it, it and then you have two predictions. I know I don't change it. I just say, Oh no, but I said this. One. <laughs> <laughs> In, no, usually I try to stick with it. Like, like when I predicted FC Dallas or yeah, what was it? FC Dallas. No, I p- predicted Orlando city to win MLS cup. And so I felt like I had to stick with it once the playoffs started. Yeah, but then you also picked someone else in MLS because you, you yelled at and then me. you were going to say, well, if Orlando wins, I get credit for that. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, that's not how it works. But in this case, I am going to stick. Both I am going to stick with what I said initially. And what I said initially was that this U.S. Was, team was going to go through. I thought that they would beat Wales. I didn't think it'd come down to a do-or-die win. I thought that they would beat Wales and draw. So did Iran. I. So are you sticking to what you said? You're not. I am still sticking to what I said. I still think this team will go through. I think it's going to be similar to the Algeria game. I think it's going to be one goal. I don't know who's going to score it. I don't know when it's going to come. But I think the U.S. is going through. All right. Well, I thought that the U.S. was going through earlier today, but as I sit here thinking about it now, I think it's going to be another draw. Yeah. I mean, Sam, if we based our predictions on what it meant for our work lives. When? We would definitely predict them to go out in the group stage, right? No. Like, not like wish it. I'm saying like predict it. Like, oh, like what's going to happen? And like, what is it going to mean for our next few days? Like, I'd be like, oh, yeah, they're going to lose. And it's going to be like a crazy few days. Oh, I thought you meant like what I would want for my work life. No, no, no. Not what you would want for your work life. Like what, like, like what type of like energy 
exists around i don't know why are you being so negative because i'm tired like this i i you know just tired and cranky i am tired and cranky (laughs) i am tired and cranky (laughs) all right well before he gets more tired and even crankier let's say goodbye thanks for listening to allocation disorder we'll be back roughly uh 30 hours from now recording again see that you're not you're making me crankier bro you're at the world cup i'm at the world cup cheer up I am um, happy now. I'm thank happy. you for listening. And for those of you who have not, I uh, encourage you in the strongest possible terms to go read Paul's piece from the other night uh, that he wrote about Costa Rica and his dad. It was beautiful. It was moving. Um, I basically cried reading it. I'm almost crying talking about it right now. But it was it was a tremendous, tremendous piece. If you have not already read it, please go read it. I think... Uh, It'll touch a lot of people, What, regardless whether or not you care about soccer. A beautiful story about family and love and sports. So c- congrats, Paul. I'm proud to know you and be your friend. It was beautiful. Thanks, Sam. All right. Thanks for listening to Allocation Disorder. We will be back, and we will know if the U.S. men's national team has advanced in the World Cup. Until then, I'm Sam. He's Paul. Thanks for listening.